Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions, and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. Welcome back to Bonkers. Yes, football has injected a bit of extra chaos in our life as markers fail, and there are more pens in the Premier League than there are in Paper Chase. Bale prevails. Tottenham goes second as they swoop on the Seagulls. No fireworks at Old Trafford and no home win since the 4th of July as United pay the penalty. Arsenal celebrate a win away from home against a fellow Big Six rival. It's been five years since we've been able to say that. Sunday was All Saints Day as JWP is the MVP. Haas and Hoodle's team flourish away from home again and Villa let their Vestergaard down once more. At least Halloween was sedate. Liverpool avoid a home hammer horror. Chelsea get their teeth into a bit of claret. And despite Brewster's millions, the blades are blunted again. As Pep says, City struggle to score. All that plus Monday's big games on the podcast that even Boris can't lock down. The Game Day post-match podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Well, hello, Matt Holland, former Ipswich and Charlton captain. How are we? Good evening. Yeah, very well indeed. Yourself? Yeah, nice to see you and uh, looking forward to an hour of catching up with what was been quite an interesting uh, weekend in the Premier League. Alex Crook, the transfer guru, angry Manchester United fan and the man who told David James that his most memorable moment watching that goalkeeper live was the moment that Cristiano Ronaldo scored his best ever Premier League free kick against him. (laughs) That's what you call politeness. I'm never one to stand on ceremony, as you as you well know. So yeah, that was uh, that was a good bit of fun with David James. We had David James on the Sunday session on Talksport, and um, I must admit, it was very very good. And what was a very busy old day, uh, Matt? What games were you at this weekend? I actually was doing uh, game day for Talksport. I was at Wickham, saw their first ever championship win. Wow, you're the good luck mascot. They'll never let you out of there ever again. Yeah, I, do you know what they were? They were really good as well. Really good. Um, for half an hour, I thought they were brilliant. They put them, you know, the energy and the commitment they showed, but the way they saw the game out as well. Um, and, and it meant so much. The celebrations afterwards were brilliant. It was fantastic to see. Crook, you were doing Aston Villa versus Southampton for TalkSport International, weren't you? Seven goal thriller. Yeah, n- not in the conventional way because Southampton basically had the game won inside an hour. They were really impressive for that first 60 minutes. Scored some fantastic goals, all four of them actually. Bullet header from Vestergaard, two cracking free kicks from Ward Prowse and Danny Ings curler from the edge of the penalty area was absolutely sumptuous. Then they let Villa back in the game and I think if it had gone on for a couple more minutes, Villa might well have got a point. Okay, we'll reflect on that game in more detail very shortly and all of the games from over the weekend. Should we start at Old Trafford where Ollie spent a lot of lolly but is no longer very jolly. 
It's always good to get on the score sheet. I don't score many, I probably should get a few more, but I seem to like it here, so um, I'm not complaining. Game, set and match, Chelsea. Three goals to nil they lead. Werner takes his chance beautifully. A class pass from Jordan Shakiri has prized open the most stubborn of defences and Diego Jota was there to latch onto the end of it and slam it home. Onto his right for Benzwan! Oh, what a goal from Danny Ings! And Southampton are running riot at Villa Park! It's Newcastle 2, Everton 0. Great work done by substitute Ryan Fraser. He's got pace to burn, he really is. The ball has then been swung in from the left flank and there was Callum Wilson to get his uh, sixth goal of the season and his second of the afternoon. It's clear that it's not a good moment. We, we, it's the second defeat and we have to react uh, well the next game. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's 100th game in charge and it's ended miserably. Full-time at Old Trafford, Manchester United nil, Arsenal 1. Well, it's a huge win for us and obviously we know our history here in the last uh, 14 years that uh, we haven't been able to win. First two, Brighton 1, Gareth Bale has scored for Tottenham. Gareth Bale once again is a Tottenham match winner as Spurs go second in the Premier League. Manchester United nil, Arsenal won. It wasn't a great game, was it? It wasn't two very good teams either, really, to be honest with you. Manchester United, though, do have their lowest points tally at this stage since David Moyes was at the helm seven years ago. And it seems, Matt Holland, one step forward, two steps back. What was the problem today, do you think? Absolutely right. Um, They seem to be having one week on and one week off. They've been very good in the Champions League, uh, obviously against Leipzig and PSG, some really good victories, but they've had some poor games in in the Premier League. And this was another one. Um, The diamond worked effectively for them in midweek. It didn't work at all today. Arsenal nullified United, uh, were pressing high up the pitch. United couldn't couldn't get out from the back. Their passing was sloppy and slow. Uh, They couldn't get Greenwood and Rashford into the game. Pogba had a poor game, gave the penalty away. There were so many problems with the performance from United today. It's difficult to know where to start, to be honest. But but the diamond certainly didn't work after it after it worked so well in midweek. Uh, Crook, take a listen to this. I think this is a game that Manchester United can win. You know, confidence has to be high after five past Leipzig in the Champions League in midweek. They went to Paris and won as well. Didn't follow that up with a particularly good performance. I think he'll shuffle the pack again. And I've got to say, I think he's used the squad quite well. You have to give credit where credit is due. And I've been reading some quotes from Harry Maguire. Obviously, that Tottenham defeat was chastening. The players, my understanding is, held an inquest amongst themselves and, 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 and tried to work out exactly what had gone wrong in that game. And the form since conceding six at home, only the second time in the Premier League era, has been exceptional. You, you can't argue uh. with that. pretty clear from minute one it wasn't working but I mean you said to me will he make changes at half time I said no he'll wait until they go one nil down which inevitably happened on comes uh, Donny van der Beek on comes Edinson Cavani but too little too late I just don't understand in this type of game what a, a midfield containing Fred and McTominay does for the home side but it just demonstrates what I've been saying for several weeks now they are wasting their time with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because for every good performance, every Leipzig, every Paris Saint-Germain is followed up by this. There's no consistency. Teams like Liverpool are pulling further away in terms of what they're doing off the pitch, what they're doing on the pitch. They need an elite coach. This is one of the biggest clubs in the world. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer 
is not a good enough manager for this club. So I'm going to suggest after listening to that, that it illustrates that Manchester United's biggest issue maybe is, as Matt said, is that they are horribly inconsistent. Would that be would that be fair? I mean, I know obviously you're very passionate about it, so you have a roller coaster of emotions. You're never one to to sort of be sort of flatlining, are you? You're either very very high or very very low. But they are. I suppose Manchester United mirror that in a way. Yeah, well, I mean, you you use the phrase one step forward, two steps back, and, and that's been the story of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign in in many ways. He's managed 100 games now. Has he made the progress that you would expect at a club of that size and stature over a century? I, I would suggest not. And uh, Matt hit the nail on the head, and, and you as well. The diamond formation didn't work, but it was patently clear it wasn't working from the first few minutes. So I don't understand why... Ole Gunnar Solskjaer waited for United to inevitably go behind and then uh, utilise that subs bench. So it is frustrating to watch because when you think a corner has been turned, you, you suffer a setback. And actually, if, if you're looking back at the Leipzig game now, and Matt and I were talking off air, maybe the fact that United won so handsomely says more about where Leipzig are at this moment in time than it does about Manchester United. They, they've made their worst start to a home season since 1972. Um, they're only six points now above the relegation places. And I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has got serious questions to answer. And and I would add that the, the substitutions he made as well were odd Wrong. as well. Wrong. Yeah. I mean, how Pogba survived and, and Greenwood was, was sacrificed, I, I was scratching my head, to be honest, because Greenwood didn't have a poor game, didn't have a bad game at all. He just didn't get in, into the game enough. Mm. But if you need a goal... I'll tell you what, he knows where the back of the net is and he, and every time he gets in on goal, you feel as though he's going to score. So for him to, t- to be taken off, I felt was the wrong decision. So again, some of his substitutions are, are questionable. I'm going to talk about the penalty in just a second. I'm going to that in a little bit more detail. But um, I saw the post-match interview with Pogba as well in which he talked about the fact that the reason maybe he, he made that sloppy tackle uh, was because he was too tired. He was out of breath. Uh, having just done a bit of running. And, and it made me think, well, hold on a second. If if you're not fit enough to be able to get back into position after making a lung-bursting run, uh, that, I think, underscores another problem, doesn't it? I mean, he says that I can get better, but I'm not actually very good defensively in the box. I don't know if he's trying to send a message to someone that he should be playing further up the pitch and not be doing that role. But ultimately, you know, as we've seen in all of the best teams, everybody has to contribute right from the very off and from the front all the way to the back. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I don't think Pogba is the only one who, who doesn't look up to Matt Sharpness at the moment. I mean, Luke Shaw at times w- w- was going forward and then taking an age to get back into that left-back position. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's post-match comments would worry me as well. He almost suggested that after the euphoria of beating Leipzig, sometimes you take your foot off the pedal in the next match. Surely it should be the complete opposite. Uh, you know, And this wasn't a, a run-of-the-mill Premier League game. This was a, a, a renewing of one of the fiercest rivalries in Premier League history. I know United and Arsenal are not the great size they were in the past, but mm. there shouldn't be a motivational issue, should there? Um, no, not at all. And actually, you know, you mentioned, I think we should also put into 
uh, to context that they did beat PSG and came back and did a reasonable job of keeping Chelsea out the, the following week but didn't look like scoring too many in that game either but ultimately it's a common problem with Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said this to me after the Chelsea game is that they, they'll win a big game and then they can't back it up with another one and if you're going to be a team that challenges for, for major trophies then you've got to be able to do that Matt let's talk about the penalties I don't think we've got any complaints about the penalty itself it's soft I mean, let's not make any bones about it. It's not a, it's not a stone roller. Um, but it's... Um, I suppose the bar for penalties is so low nowadays, it doesn't matter. I mean, when do you see a game without a penalty? United have one in their game. Newcastle, there was one in that game. Villa, Southampton, there's one in that game. Chelsea, there was one in that game. Liverpool, there's one in that game. Tottenham, there was one in that game. And that's six of the eight matches that we've had so far this week. I mean, United have conceded five in their past seven Premier League home games. Newcastle have conceded or had three penalties in five home matches as many as they'd had in their previous 76. I mean, you pretty much get a penalty every single week now, don't you? I mean, I don't understand why the bar has, has dropped so low. Well, it's the advent of VAR. <laughs> it's, it, it's pretty much why. I think I think referees have obviously um, are making decisions um, and are being backed by VAR or, or they don't make a decision and VAR is, is bringing it to their attention. So, Basically, the advent of VAR has, has meant that there's more penalties. And, of course, a lot of them hand balls as well. Um, although that that law has changed or been altered since the start of the season as well. But simply down to VAR, I think, is why we're seeing more penalties. Okay. But as a, as, as a midfielder, as a, as a player who would have made tackles in their life um, in an intense Premier League environment, contact doesn't always mean a penalty, does it? I mean, surely you have to impede someone for there to be a foul. You have to be careless or reckless or you have to have done something to impose upon somebody else in order to, to give away a penalty. I mean, you, I, just I, said, you just said you've got to be what, careless. You've got to be careful now when you're making a, t- a tackle in the box. But I mean, in order, I mean when, when you contact someone, the, care, the, the contact has to be careless or has to be reckless. It, it's not just touching someone inside the penalty area, is it, in order to give away a penalty? Otherwise, I mean, for example, there, there doesn't seem to be... It seems incongruous to me that Harry Maguire can um, put... Cesar Afpilicueta into a stranglehold, drag him to the floor, take his shirt off, run around the entire arena, and then and then go and push him on in the face, and still not have to give a penalty against him. And then Arthur Masuaku can tickle uh, Mo Salah's feet, and it's a penalty. I, I just uh, to me that it doesn't seem like. Do you know what I mean? I'm, obviously, I'm over going over the it top, and it's a bit you know exaggerated, but it, it doesn't seem to work for me. It doesn't feel palatable, does it? No. I think it's... when you see some of the decisions, when you see some of the decisions that are, are being given, it, you, you sort of feel, was it, wasn't it? But what what I'd say is, if a referee gives a penalty, there's got to be good reason for VAR to overturn it. That's a bit like, the problem. A bit like in cricket, isn't it? It's a bit like in cricket. If it, you, umpire's you know, call. Umpire's call. And I think a lot of it is down to that at the moment. So a referee gives a decision. Is there enough evidence to overturn it? Well, it, it's a soft one, but... No, there isn't enough evidence. So, therefore, the penalty is, is awarded. I spoke to a Premier League official this week who said, actually, what they would like to go back to is the idea of giving a nailed-on penalty. When you know it's a nailed-on penalty, you give that penalty. But when it's debatable and speculative, you don't give it. But at the moment, they're giving absolutely everything. Because if it's debatable, in your mind, if you're giving a debatable penalty and you don't give it, you, at least you know you've got the safety net of VAR coming along and saying, actually, that really is a major penalty. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think there are clearly um, too many penalties being awarded. Having said that, I think the Pogba challenge was indefensible, really. He just got himself out of position. It was a sloppy tackle. I don't think that was open to conjecture. No, no, I I, nor do I. I don't think it was open to conjecture. But I'm ju- I mean, I think the pro- the, what I was pointing out was there just seems to be so many of them. Yeah, and uh, Matt's right. I think VAR now are, are looking for the most innocuous incidents in a penalty area and, and reasons to, to give a spot kick, even the one the Brighton-Tottenham game we'll come on to later. Um, with Adam Lallana, I'm not convinced without VAR that that would have been given. Um, OK, let's talk a little bit about Arsenal because we should be sort of paying tribute to Mikel Arteta who's got a big result and it is a big result for Arsenal whether you thought you, that the approach was particularly impressive or not the fact is is that they haven't won an away game against a big six side uh, careful not to say top six side there Crook um, since uh, 2015 January 2015 and they deserved it William, Saka, Lacazette all had chances before the penalty they don't know like they're going to score five or six in a game ever anyway uh, but they certainly had the better of the play in what was quite an open first half I thought Matt I thought they were the better team th- throughout the game you know you had a spell start the second half where they huffed and puffed, but Arsenal gradually gained control of the game again. I thought Gabriel at centre-half was outstanding. Um, Party in midfield, likewise. El Nenny alongside him was very good as well. I thought defensively, they, they were really well organised. United found it difficult to break through them. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I thought they were the better team. Don't think it, I don't think they were amazing. I'm not looking at this Arsenal team thinking, you know, you know people are talking now about uh, it being a very open Premier League and you know Tottenham could win it such and such could win it I don't, I'm not looking at Arsenal thinking they're Premier League title winners but I would say under Mikel Arteta they're going in the right direction it's not as quick as they'd like to be going it in that direction but I think they are improving they are getting better Okay a entertaining game at lunchtime on Sunday where James Ward-Prowse gave Villa a bit of a roasting He's whipped that in with real pace, and that's a terrific header. A wonderful header in from Vestergaard. He's powered that into the top corner, and Southampton have the lead. There is a big Villa wall, plenty of Southampton shirts in it, but he doesn't need to use them. It's a wonderful free kick from James Ward-Prowse. Aston Villa have got a wall across the edge of that six-yard box, and it's picked out and in again from James Ward-Prowse. Well, would you believe it? It's a birthday double for Ward-Prowse. Cuts onto his right for Pinswan. Oh, what a goal from Danny Ings. And Southampton are running riot at Villa Park. Grealish on the run. Lifts the ball over to Tyro Mings with a header. And they've got one back. And it's Tyro Mings for Aston Villa. Grealish goes down. Penalty kick is given. Two minutes into uh, stoppage time at the end of the game. Watkins takes it and he sends him the wrong way. Puts it high into the left-hand side of McCarthy's net. And he went low to the right. Watkins went high and to the left. Edge of the penalty area. Grealish with the shot. It's gone in. And it's gone in. Grealish, he didn't move, the keeper didn't move and the final kick of the game is another wonderful goal from Jack Grealish and on All Saints Day, it's the Saints who take all three points, Aston Villa 3, Southampton 4 Aston Villa 3, Southampton 4, the scoreline looks uh, close but ultimately it wasn't, it was 4-0 and then there were a goal from Tyro Mings two in stoppage time that made it look closer than it was but let's talk James Ward-Prowse uh, because he's the first player to score two direct free kicks in the first half of a Premier League game. And it's a triumph, isn't it? For practice makes perfect. 
It is. I remember speaking to James Ward-Prowse a, a few years ago. Now, it may even have been um, when Southampton were first promoted back to the Premier League. And uh, he was quite open about the fact that he used to study David Beckham's free-kick technique and try and replicate that on the training ground. I think if you look at the way that he um, prepares to take a, a free-kick in a corner and the way that he addresses the ball, there are big similarities um, to David Beckham. He almost caresses it um, into the corner of the net, as he did so successfully on two occasions in that match at Villa Park. I think he deserves all the success in the world because he's someone who has been a model professional. He's been in the team now for a decade. He's due a testimonial. He's come through the academy. He's taken on the responsibility of wearing the captain's armband. And his dead ball delivery for me is, if not the best in the Premier League right now, it's certainly up there. He never hits the first man with a corner. It, his free kicks are, are usually on target. That is to say they trouble the goalkeeper or they find the back of the net. I think he's a, he's a fantastic role model. Yeah, and he's uh, an asset for England as well. That dead ball delivery will be good for England, Matt Holland, uh, too. And Ralph Harsenhutl obviously has put quite a lot of faith in him. Do you think that Harsenhutl is getting the best out of him as well, maximising his ability? Yeah, I think he, I think he has. Um, I think he called him his general after the game today. Mm. And I think in the absence of Hoybier, there's a, there's a little bit more emphasis on James Ward-Prowse to dictate games uh, and get on the ball and provide for his teammates and he's scoring goals as well. Uh, he seems to have really grown as a, as an individual. Not you know, you know, we all knew he, how good he was as a player and his ability. Talked about his set pieces a lot already, but I think he's grown into the role of a, of a leader, which you know we, we perhaps haven't seen before this season. Um, we talked about Oli Gunnar Solskjaer not celebrating his hundredth game in charge. It was a good day to, to celebrate his 26th birthday wasn't it the way he um he put those two free kicks in, into the back of the net so no he's, he's had a he's had a good day and and as I say I think he's really growing as a, as a personality as well uh Crook I know you like to cuddle up to Ralph Harsenhutl have you sent him a uh, a little text to congratulate him on today's performance well I don't think he would have welcomed it after the, the last half an hour to be honest considering that you know effectively they've won quite comfortably away from home and scored four on the road I think he was more frustrated and angry of what happened in the last half an hour than he was celebrating okay. the opening hour. But they're on a they're on, they're on a great run of form. They are. So, did uh, that because you text him and he and, or you were worried that if you text him he would ghost you, or have you not got to the stage where you've got his number yet? <laughs> I'm asking. I mean, genuinely, because you, I can't work out if this is sort of like a one way loving or whether or not you know you two are on the road to some something special. But you said if I pop up on Tinder, it'll, it'll swipe right. I wonder whether or not you'd be blocked. <laughs> it's lockdown. He can't see him for a month. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Uh, well, that's obviously a worry if you haven't got uh, his digits because you can't FaceTime him either. Um, defensive errors are costing Aston Villa. What's changed, Matt? Because they kept three clean sheets in four. They've now let in seven goals in two games. I mean, can you put it down as just the magic of James Ward-Prowse? Set-piece delivery was superb. So, you know, Martinez couldn't have got close to any of those two, that's for sure. But... You don't give away free kicks in that area if you know you're playing against a team with James Ward-Prowse in the team, do you? No, I mean, look, people were getting carried away a little bit with Aston Villa. I think we all, I got carried away a bit with Aston Villa because I started putting them all, all their players in my fancy league team. Um, and since since then, it's it's all gone, you know. Oh, you're the <laughs> up, jinx. Up, it's, it's gone up the spout, exactly. So um, I think I think we're perhaps we, a lot of people getting carried away with, with how they started the season. Don't get me wrong, I, I was impressed with them, saw them at Fulham. Um, early on and, and 
and I thought they were excellent the way they moved the ball. Obviously, they got some very good individual players, um, but ultimately they're, they're not a team that are, again going to finish in the top top six. It's a it's a team that you know if they finish mid table they'd be absolutely delighted. I think so. I think we we perhaps got carried away a little bit with their start. Okay, away from home, Southampton have now won fourteen of their last thirty four Premier League away games. Why are they so comfortable on the road, Crook? I think their pressing style is suited to playing away from home. There's been a problem at St Mary's for a number of years now. It's not just a Ralph Hasenhutl problem. Claude Puel, you may remember, barely won a home game either. Um, he barely so raised his voice above two decibels as well. I think they're a fan base that can get on the players' backs quite quickly and get a little bit frustrated. So certainly when there was a full stadium before um, lockdown, that didn't help their home form. I think it's confidence. I think they believe they can go to places and impose their style and, and, and pick up results. It's um, 14 away wins for Ralph Hasenhutl as Southampton manager. That's equaling Ronald Koeman's club record. That's good company to be keeping. They're an excellent counter-attacking team and they've got a top-class goal scorer in Danny Ings as well. Um, and, and they'll be hoping that the injury he picked up isn't as serious as as yeah. um, first feared as yeah. well. Because he... He kept well. He was out last year. You know, if Southampton scored, it was Danny Ings. You know, this year, obviously, you know, I think the, the goals are sort of coming a little bit more freely out from elsewhere as well. Um, but they, they'll be desperate that that isn't a serious injury. It looks serious, doesn't it? Doesn't look particularly good. What's the prognosis that you've heard coming out of St Mary's tonight, Crook? Well, the good news is that by all accounts, he didn't leave the ground on crutches. He was able to walk to the team coach. So I think that's a, a really positive sign. Um, the reaction from Danny Ings when he first went down was to scream out, my knee, my knee, which obviously doesn't sound fantastic, especially when you've got the, the injury history that he has. So I, I think fingers are, are being crossed that it's not as serious as, as it first looked. I mean, he didn't go straight down to the tre- dressing room either. He sat on the uh, on the bench and just had his ice pack on his knee I hope it's just precautionary from from Danny Ings that maybe he's fearing the worst because of what has happened in the past as opposed to this is anything serious not not just for Southampton but for England and for him as well because he's I think only Jamie Vardy has scored more goals than Danny Ings since the start of last season so it would be a real shame and he deserves a bit of a break really to be honest with you doesn't he I mean you mentioned the fact that he screamed out my knee my knee that I mean some of that might be just paranoia because I I can imagine that it plays on his mind quite a lot and the last thing that he wants is to get into a situation where he's got a long-term injury again so we wish him all the very best and Newcastle beat Everton by two goals to one today Uh, it was a poor game lack quality there wasn't much in it Callum Wilson scored twice but Jordan Pickford was dropped, stroke rested. Um, Ancelotti said afterwards that he'll be back for the Manchester United game live on TalkSport next weekend. But what's the rationale behind, as he said, I've got two goalkeepers I wanted to give Robin Olsen a go to show him that he's part of the group and he played well. And Jordan Pickford will be back next weekend, Matt. Well, I mean, he's, t- he's taken him out the firing line, really. You know, he's had a he's had a difficult spell with the Virgil Van Dyke stuff. I think that's been you know pretty hard for him. He's had a lot of stick on on social media, and and um, I think he's felt that quite quite. It's been very difficult for him. So I think this just gives him a little bit of a breather, give him a bit of time out the firing line. He has made some errors. He's made some poor mistakes, and uh, you know. Uh, it, no one's no one is uh, exempt from getting left out of a team, and I think sometimes you need to know that as well. You know, he's he's played what 100, 
130 or 120 or 130 consecutive Premier League games since since joining the club. Um, and, you know, you can't feel too comfortable that you're going to be playing week in, week out. You do need to feel as though there's a bit of pressure from, from you know, some, someone on the, on the bench. You know, like David De Gea this season, in fairness, I think it's been much more, much improved knowing that he's got a little bit of competition in, in Dean Henderson waiting in the wings. Jordan Pickford just just needs to, I think, feel that he's got a bit of competition. Um, no James Rodriguez for Everton, no Richarlison either, and they lacked guile as a result of that crook. I, I, I wonder whether or not those absentees sort of expose that actually Ancelotti's squad isn't that deep and that's why they won't be fighting for the title. I mean, they, I think they end the weekend in second, third position, something like that, but ultimately they, they're, they're not top anymore. And I don't think that they will be challenging for the title. I don't think anyone really realistically associated with the club thought they would be. But although they've spent a hell of a lot of money, once you take those top-class players out of the team, what's left underneath doesn't produce as regularly. No, and I don't think they'll even be challenging for the top four, to be honest. I think the past couple of performances and the past couple of um, team sheets have exposed a, a lack of squad depth, despite the fact they've spent so much money since the new owners came in. You're not going to challenge for a place in the Champions League with a great respect in the in the world with Sigurdsson, with Delft, uh, and with John Joe Kenny in, in your lineup. It just isn't going to happen. I think it's a slight concern with James Rodriguez because, of course, he had an injury concern going into the last game against Southampton. Then he missed this one injured. So uh, perhaps already the, the, the toll of playing in the Premier League, which is a much more competitive division than what he's used to, is, is perhaps affecting him. I think maybe the past couple of results now is, is a bit of a reality check to any Everton fans who, who perhaps were getting carried away by their flying start. We'll explore injuries later in the programme as well because um, there has been sort of lots of statistics flying around about that over the course of the, the weekend. But Newcastle slowly and surely are going about their business quite quietly, aren't they? Callum Wilson scored six goals in his first seven Premier League games. Uh, only Les Ferdinand has a better start to his Premier League career at the tune. Um Steve Bruce obviously divides opinion on Tyneside, but points make prizes and they're starting to put points on the board, Matt. Saw them at uh, Wolves last weekend and um, whilst it was a, a difficult watch, they were... <laughs> no, they would. you have to give credit to the way they defended and they did defend well because particularly when you looked at the players in the positions that they were as well, it was a very attacking lineup, and and players were asked to do a job because they had injuries in midfield to... to be quite defensive and they did it well. And in Callum Wilson, they had a real threat. Someone who was on the shoulder all the time, looking to get in behind. Um, he, he was he, a real pest for Wolves and you always felt they could get a goal and, and because of him. So, I, I, yeah, they are. I mean, I, since the United defeat, I think he's gone to a back three and they just, they just look more secure, more solid playing that back. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Three. Tottenham Hotspur against Brighton. Oh, Tottenham ended up winning... Uh, all three points garnered by goals uh, in the first half from uh, Harry Kane and then Gareth Bale getting his first goal and I think that the pleasing sight of Gareth Gale's big teethy smile after scoring that goal for Tottenham was a sight to behold wasn't it I mean now you feel as if he sort of can get off and running Matt yeah and I I did the game in uh, Europe and you know he wasn't the only one but he didn't impact the game at all. Mm. Now, you still feel like he's finding his feet. And Mourinho said, he, oh, the, the numbers are turning. He's getting up to speed. He's he's nearly there. He's he, We're going to see the best of Gareth Bale. And I watched the game and, and we didn't see the best of Gareth Bale. And, <laughs> and it, we're, we're, you know, it, he's, he's not quite there yet. But that massively helps. When you get off and running, you get your first goal. Because there's a lot of pressure with Gareth Bale coming back to Tottenham. You know, the, the, the expectation levels, the fact that he's trying to link up with Kane and Son and there's so much story and hype around in, in returning to Tottenham um, that there was a bit of pressure on him. So for him to get that goal, it just relieves a little bit of that pressure now. Um, was it a penalty? Because there was a foul inside, outside the area. Was it or wasn't it a, a significant touch, Crook? I'm still not sure. No, I'll then. go back. No, then I'll go back to the point I made earlier that if if it wasn't for VAR, then no, it wouldn't have been given. But it, it, that that's got to be the sort of measure, isn't it? If you're not sure, even after watching as many replays as you had, it can't be. Surely, Matt. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it is so difficult to tell whether it. I is gave it is. Crook a kiss once. Is that a penalty? I'd have given it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely give me a fine for it. <laughs> to be fair, I'd have fined myself. Uh, Brighton lined up without a striker. What's wrong with Neil Mopé? Well, Graham Potter insists it's just a tactical decision. I, I thought it was a bit odd to leave out Matty Ryan as well, in fairness. I know you're not Ryan's biggest fan, but I'm not sure he's made any catastrophic mistakes this season to deserve being dropped for the first time in his Brighton career. And equally with, with Mopé, he's still their, their biggest goal threat. To not include him in the squad at all. Yeah, I thought that was weird. Yeah, I, I think there has to be more to this story that, that, than we've heard. I haven't heard any whispers of, of any issues between Graham Potter and, and Mopai. 
maybe it was just a, an under pressure under pressure manager trying to be too clever. I'm, but they were chasing the game at, at two one down. They played quite well again, Brighton. But I don't understand why why you wouldn't have. Mopai at least on the bench is an option to come on in those circumstances. Matt, earlier on in the uh, programme, you talked about Arsenal and you said that you don't think they're challengers for the title. Tottenham Hotspur, second in the Premier League as things stand at the end of Sunday's games. Jose Mourinho's got one of the best strike forces in the league. Are they Premier League title challengers this season? I don't think they'll win it because because I think there's better teams and, and I still think Liverpool and Man City are both better than Tottenham you know we haven't talked about Man City yet and, and City have gone seven games unbeaten in all competitions since they got beat by Leicester they're gradually starting to find their feet um, Liverpool aren't playing amazing football right now but they're grinding out wins and they're, sh- they're showing a lot of character I think both of those two are better than Tottenham but I guess you know with a man like Mourinho in charge someone who's done it previously you know he, he, they're finding a way to win games when they're not playing unbelievable football either at times um, you've got Kane and Son who've been excellent Kane's now I think what was that I saw today 149 Premier League goals into the top 10 now level with Les Ferdinand Yeah. so look, when you've got someone like him up top and in the form that he's in then you've got a real chance but I think there's better teams still uh, that leads us on nicely to a look back at Saturday Masuaku comes back to the edge of the box and it's struck into the goal by Fornals on the edge of the penalty area and West Ham United lead. Pablo Fornals gets his second goal of the season. It's a brilliant strike and a well-worked move from West Ham. Scoops the ball forward to Salah who's on the other side. He goes down under pressure of Masuaku and a penalty is given. It's a very, very slight contact for me. Um, he's gone down very easily but listen, Mo Salah's going to do that. I think you've got to be careful when you go into them challenges. Mohamed Salah, seven goals this season left-footed drives it down the middle and drives Liverpool back on level terms it's 1-1 and Mohamed Salah has fired in a fortunate penalty Jota moving towards the edge of the area he goes past one tries to send it back for Mane to shoot great save comes back towards Mane and then tucked in by Diego Jota who slams it in is he dangerous offside? play is it dangerous, dangerous play? play by Mane he slides in at Fabianski I'd be very surprised if that's given he has blown his whistle and he has changed his mind I think and given a free kick to West Ham United the goal's jumped off it's still Liverpool 1 West Ham 1 now Shakiri, a little threaded ball in towards Diego Jota and this time there's no mistake about it it is a victory that returns them to the top of the Premier League it has finished Liverpool 2 West Ham United 1 Liverpool needed Diogo Jota to get them out of a jam against West Ham, but the ball that was sent through to him for the winning goal from Jordan Shakiri, mamma mia, it was exquisite. Even when they were 1-0 down, I didn't think for one minute that they were going to lose. In fact, I remember saying on the pre-match uh, podcast that we had on Thursday, the preview podcast to Darren Lewis, that everyone keeps talking about the fact they've got injuries, Manchester City not scoring goals, but at the end of this weekend, we'll look back and Manchester City would have won and Liverpool would have won. But they're finding a way to do that. And I think that's key. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, obviously there was a, a lot of doom mongering when they lost Virgil van Dijk. But so far, uh, so good in the absence of their talismanic defender. They've, they've won every game. And, and they're top of the table without yet hitting top stride. So I think when they do click and find their rhythm, 
uh, they're going to be a pretty intimidating prospect. But we talked about squad depth and Shakiri uh, provides the assist for the winner. Yotta, who has surprised me, I thought perhaps they paid over the odds for him, um, scored twice in the game. Obviously, the first one was was ruled out by VAR. He's impacting games off the bench. So I think going forward now, they've probably got more options than they had uh, when they won the title last season. If they can just keep on grinding out defensively without Van Dyke, then I think they'll win the league. And against a West Ham team that we look at their recent results and who they played against, and they've been difficult opponents for some of the top sides. And drawn with City, drawn with Spurs, came back from, from three goals down against Tottenham. Against a team there that have been a real handful for, for some of the tops. In fairness, I do think West Ham are, are better suited to playing against the, the the better sides, the bigger sides, the way that they can counter-attack. Because they can be uh, compact and then just spring, can't they? Exactly. They they look like a team that are better suited to playing against the bigger sides, yeah. if I'm totally honest. The test for West Ham is actually going to be against teams that they're probably expected to win against. That's when it's going to be a bit more difficult. I honestly think that might be more difficult for them, some of those games. Bad news um, for David Moyes because that's what's coming around the corner. And obviously, they've got an issue with the fact that when Mikel Antonio isn't in the team, I'm afraid that Sebastian Allaire is, is just not a good enough replacement. He doesn't run in behind. He doesn't hold the ball up. He's not physical enough. He's not good enough to play in the team. How much did he cost? £40 million. Pounds. And he started actually quite brightly. The first appearance I saw him play was against Manchester City on the opening day of last season. I thought he was terrific in that game. He scored four goals in his first seven Premier League matches. And then he's played 31 matches subsequently and he's also scored four goals. I mean, some of those have been as a substitute, obviously, but I think he just looked completely out of place in the team. And the manager clearly doesn't fancy him. I mean, even pre-match, he was saying, well, yeah, yeah, Haller's got to play. It's an opportunity for him. Blah. He wasn't sort of like, no, no, it's a good opportunity for him to sort of get up there and show his physicality. I don't think anybody believed that he was going to be able to make an impact. And so it proved, Matt. Speak, do you know... He's chalk and cheese, really, to, to Mikhail Antonio. He's, he's, you know, someone who, who really has got the attributes to be like Mikhail Antonio, but but doesn't do what Antonio does. You know, Antonio, if you you're playing centre half against Antonio, you come out you come out off after the game, you know you've been in a match against Haller. You, you know, you're thinking, well, he's not running behind. He's, you know, he might win the odd header, but who's he? You know, who's he flicking it onto? Yeah, you've not come off thinking, "Oh, I've been battered. I'm, you know, I've been left battered and bruised there. I've been, I've been in a real game." Whereas against Antonio, you come off and you think, "I'll tell you what, that was hard work today." And that's what Haller's got to get to. That's the level he's got to get to. No, he doesn't look like he's capable of that, sadly. Uh, No forward worries for Chelsea, who scored three times at Burnley. And what a start to his Blues career for Hakim Ziyech. Wrong-footing Nick Pope, playing a starring role, try twice in a week. Uh, We almost forgot that Pulisic had uh, been injured in the warm-up. Chelsea seemed to have the right balance for me. In midfield, slightly more technical. Players who like to play it quick and sharp, like Mount. Jorginho sometimes labours on the ball, doesn't move it quick enough, goes sideways a lot. Mount was excellent in the match. Havertz was good. And the steadying presence of Thiago Silva at the back. But I still think Burnley should have had a penalty in that game. Because there's a moment before Chelsea score their first goal when Mendy comes steaming out and clatters into Ashley Barnes. And I think that's a pen. 
you're obsessed with penalties this week, aren't you? Penalties that were given and penalties that weren't given. I suppose what you're highlighting is is the inconsistency well, in the decision. I, I also th- can't believe how many are given. I mean, uh, there is a disproportionate amount of penalties. If you go back, I, I mentioned some of the t- statistics. I mean, Newcastle's in particular, it took them 76 games at home to have the same number of penalties as they've had in the last five. I mean, it's cr- absolutely crazy. Um, but I do think that one was a penalty. If it, on, on the current evidence... That's more of a penalty than some of them that have been given this week. So I felt a bit sorry for Burnley for about three and a half seconds. And then <laughs> I was quite delighted to see that Werner and Ziyech were were linking up rather beautifully going the other way. So well done to Frank Lampard, another three points on the board. Um, not so much luck for Chris Wilder, who was a little frustrated that Sheffield United didn't get more from Manchester City. They lost the game 1-0, but uh, City were far from perfect again. Ramsdale made some good saves, was fortunate with one or two others but as Pep says himself Matt Holland they're struggling to score goals difficult one to know exactly why I tell you what he'll be pleased with though is is the defensive pairing of Diaz and Laporte um, you know since those two have, have been together I think they've played three games and conceded one goal so those two look at a real pairing which is something that I felt was a problem for them mm. you know last season whereas that now looks like it's been rectified top end of the pitch is an issue you know Guero and Jesus out the team. I thought actually Ferran Torres did a good job up top in the, in the number nine position. I thought he played it well. Um, you know, his movement, his runs in behind. He got himself into goal scoring position, so I was impressed. I think he's actually better in that position than when Sterling plays there. I think Sterling actually prefers to play out, out wide. And he looks he looked better in that position than Sterling has done. But it is a strange one as to as to why they're not not breaking teams down as regular as we, we've seen previously. Um, I mentioned this, I think, on the podcast previously about Ferran Torres and why I like him so much is because he knew he was going to move to the Premier League. So he hired a personal trainer to get himself fitter and bigger and bulkier because he knew that going into this league, he'd need to be more physical and have to be, um, to, have to be able to um, live up to the demands of the Premier League. Um Defensively, you mentioned they look better, which is true. And their first choice defence, Walker, who's been excellent, Diaz-Laporte, Cancelo, who's not a left-back, but he's playing there because for however much money they've spent, they can't seem to find a a left-back. But keeping all those players fit and in the team in a season in which we are having an excess of injuries, and Pep Guardiola, I think, quoted the figure of 57% 57% more injuries over the court muscular injuries over the course of this season I don't think you're going to be able to rely on them for the whole of the campaign No and that's the problem isn't it because Manchester City have already been badly affected on that front with the absence of Aguero and Jesus and you're right it was another unconvincing performance they, they just about found a way to get the job done but their next two games in the Premier League uh, Liverpool at home Tottenham away they're going to need to up their levels quite a bit I think on what we've seen in in recent weeks certainly what we saw at Bramall Lane if they are going to win those matches and already we're talking about Man City and Liverpool being the two main contenders for the title this game uh, the Etihad next Sunday could go a long way uh, to deciding who comes out on top Um, one shot on target for Sheffield United Matt Brewster looks as if he still needs a bit of extra time and Sheffield United now have failed to win any any of their last 11 games in all competitions yeah um, not putting the ball in the box and even when they do they can't put it in the net 
Well, the, yeah, but they've got to get into the box first before they start thinking about putting into the net. It's no good getting into good positions in wide areas and not delivering. And that's what they've been doing. They've been getting into, into those positions on a regular basis and turning down the opportunity to put the ball into the box. And if you do that, then you're never going to score a goal. Mm. So, <laughs> first and foremost, when you get into a crossing position, cross the ball, particularly when you've got the likes of McGoldrick or McBurney you know, in, in the box and people who are, who are good at getting on the end of crosses, then deliver the ball. And that's something they haven't been doing. Uh, Halloween on Saturday night. Um, and Crook, it's really nice that you've, you've come to the podcast in fancy dress. Thank you very much for, for doing really? that. Um, here's a spooky stat for you. Manchester City have won more top flight matches on Halloween than any other team in English top flight, flight history. In top, top flight, flight. <laughs> top fright history. <laughs> the dark arts are getting me too. <laughs> Friday night saw Luka Milivojevic sent off. Um, Wolves beat Palace by two goals to nil. Wolves doing what Wolves do, which is score one or two if they're feeling particularly adventurous, and then keep a clean sheet. Nothing fancy, but the 19-year-old French under-21 international, Ryan Aitnouri, scored in his debut and played very well, Matt. Do you know what? Yeah, he did He did play very well and, and great for him to get the goal. Um, but Wolves, Wolves, you say score one, score two. Do you know, I, I think they, they're trying to change the way they play this year. He's only playing with one holding midfield player. Um, Nevis has been there the last couple of games playing Dendonka and Neto ahead of him and uh, Pedence and Jimenez up top but he's looking to get Dendonka and Neto up in support of Jimenez and actually beyond Jimenez um, the width obviously comes from from the wing backs um, obviously Aynori this week and, and Semedo um, but he's looking to try and find more goals from his midfield not relying on Raul Jimenez to be to be the one who does that I think Pe- uh, Pedro Neto and Pedence have really combined pretty well at times as well so this is this is something that's not going to happen overnight it's going to evolve and I think the hammering they got at West Ham pardon the pun um, has, has served them to go back to sort of basics a little bit and be that resolute defensive shape that they've they've had for, for for the last couple of seasons in the Premier League, but uh, but they are trying to progress. You know, it's, it's no good saying, "Oh, we're a, well, we're a sixth or seventh place team in the Premier League." They want to go to the next level, and that's what they're trying to do now. Possession without any real penetration. I never really felt like Wolves' clean sheet was was under threat. Zaha was anonymous, and uh, I think Palace now possibly are leveling out. You're into expected goals. I'm pretty sure that they overachieved on that front early in the season and I think now that they will start to drop down the table I still think they could be one of the sides who who are looking nervously over their shoulder see I like the fact that you threw in that's something you're into but you used it as a reason to back up your argument are you coming round to expected goals it's been two years I've been trying to get him into it but you know we'll see we'll get there in the end He'll, uh, he'll be wearing loafers without any socks soon as well. Uh, we do have a go at Crystal Palace, but it, it works uh, for them, I suppose. I mean, they actually turned up at Molyneux looking to to take a record number of points from their opening seven games of the season. So I suppose in one sense, you could say that the, the modus operandi actually works for them and it puts in perspective the, the issues that they have and that we take the mickey out of them for never having the ball. Um, but ultimately, again, it's just not great to watch. Should we get to Monday? Because there's a few games there that I might want to watch. 
Uh, Leeds versus Leicester, which is the eight o'clock kickoff. Leon Cooper is available uh, for his uh, team after an injury, and uh, we mentioned about the number of injuries that we've had. But I'm sure this will be billed as, and probably will be, Bamford versus Vardy, and that's tasty, Matt Holland. It is tasty. This is a good game. One I'm looking forward to watching myself. Um, every time, actually, every time Leeds play, I want to watch them. You say you you, you ask the question where don't you want a season ticket? I wouldn't mind one at Leeds. Yeah, you know, you know you're going to see a good game every time. You know, every time they play, you're going to see a good game. The way they play, the the intensity they play at, uh, the way they hunt the ball when they lose it, the way they commit bodies forward um, to, to score goals. They're a team that I really enjoy watching. Um, watch out for Leeds defending set pieces, though. They've conceded a lot from them so far this season. They don't keep clean sheets anymore. And they did that a lot last season. That was the sort of bedrock of their success. And they're finding it a little bit more difficult to do so in the Premier League. And they'll find it more difficult with Jamie Vardy uh, breathing down their necks. Leicester looking for a better start uh, to this season. Check this out. Than in their title-winning campaign. Might not feel like that, but that is statistically true. Uh, they're going to have to do it without Castagna, and they're waiting on Johnny Evans as well. How do you see this game going, Crook? Well, I think there'll be goals um, for the reasons that Matt's already alluded to and, and you there talking about Leeds' lack of clean sheets this season. Oh, no, I, I it's going to this... be nil-nil, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I think this could be one of the most entertaining games of the weekend because, like you two, I've been uber-impressed with, with Leeds and... I've actually, Matt's talked about his fantasy league team. I put Patrick Bamford in mine this weekend, so that's probably the kiss of death. But I think it will be a shootout between him and Jamie Vardy. I'm not quite sure where we're going with Leicester this season. I don't know what bracket you put them in. I don't think they're top four contenders. They're certainly not title contenders, but they are one of those teams who should be looking at the top six and qualification for Europe. Again, I think they're in a better position than, say, Everton to do that. And I think what's impressed me is they've had a lot of injury problems to contend with already and dealt over with the it. course of the campaign, and they've dealt with it really yeah. well. Yeah, he's done well, Brendan Rodgers. He's a good coach. He's a good coach. And I think he's getting better at... I think he's coming across even better now than he, than he did maybe a couple of years ago. Sometimes, I think, when he was at Liverpool, for example, he'd say things and people would sort of... react to that because it sounded a little bit sort of left field but I think now a lot more people have accepted the type of coaching that he's into and also um, I think people have realised what a good coach he is Uh, Fulham against West Brom West Bromwich Albion back in their Monday 5.30 slot their traditional home now uh, desperately trying to find people to play 14.95 to watch them um, I think last week it was 437 or something uh, Fulham will be back in the bottom uh, on the bottom of the table though should they lose this one what are you tipping here Matt? I don't think even we've got a win yet have they? I, I no. actually think Fulham might win this I know they're, and and there's no real rhyme or reason to why I say that because their home form's been terrible. They haven't got a point, I don't think, at home this season. Uh, So there's no real rhyme or reason to it, but I just feel as though they might just pick up the three points. Okay. Kamara banned for uh, Fulham. Uh, Have Albion sold anyone from under Slav's notes this week? (laughs) Anyone? Randomly just shipped off to the Middle East or anything? No. Uh, West Bromwich Albion haven't won away at Fulham in the league since October 1967. Do you want to change your mind, Matt? No, it's good enough reason for me now, isn't it, to, to stick with Fulham. OK, Carlin Grant's done well for Albion, I think. Um, he's been a, a rich source of goals. Um, six uh, away league games for him and four goals. And I think he sort of made an impression. Um, I like Slaven Bilic. He's got a bit of attitude about him. He knows what he, he wants from his team. But I just think the squad itself, Crookie, is not really up to Premier League grade. 
No, I think that both these teams will go down. Um, I was convinced by that before a ball was kicked, and I haven't seen much. Well, hold on a second. Old, hold on a second. What opinion. you actually said was in the pre-season podcast was there won't be two teams as bad as Norwich and Watford, uh, is what you said. But I think, and I'm going to keep bringing this up every week. Uh, Fulham and West Brom have already slipped into that category, haven't they? Well, they have, and there's already a bit of a gap developing. If, if you look at the, the, the bottom four or five teams at the moment to, to the rest of the division. I mean, Manchester United are six points clear of the relegation places. They're in 15th. I think they might just have enough to stay in the Premier League, but it's already looking like being a long, hard winter for, for the two sides that are going to play on Monday night. And if we're expecting a goal fest between Leeds and Leicester, then it's going to be the opposite in this one. I think 1-0 will, will probably nick it either way. And you, you joke there about Slavin Bilic and the issues that he's had with the board there. That would worry me. Um, that Slavin Bilic has been so vocal um, about the issue with that particular sale. And he is a manager. Who, it wouldn't surprise me if he, if he really is that unhappy and results keep going against them. I could see him walking away. He's a geezer that wears his heart on his sleeve, no matter what you're talking about. I mean, you can be sitting in a cafe talking about a formation of the Croatia team that he might be going to watch next week and he'll, be, he'll get really animated about everything. That's just the kind of guy that he is. But, but why after taking West Brom back into the Premier League, why are the board doing stuff like this to, to undermine their manager? I don't think that's a, a great look. This football clubs and, you know, they'll, they'll be able to use the excuse of, uh, we haven't got any money because we haven't got any crowds in, no one's watching our pay-per-view games, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's interesting, actually, it was after their first went on pay-per-view um, that uh, Hegazi was sold. Um, and I wonder whether that was because they only got 437 people watching it and they thought, oh, we're in for a long, hard winter now. Uh, right, that is it from us. We will see you on Thursday for the big preview to the weekend's football with the assistant editor of the Daily Mirror, Darren Lewis, and Alex Crook as we cram in 10 previews into 50 minutes. It's going to be some work, but we'll get it done for you, I promise. See you then. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.